Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Hey church, good morning. It's good to be with you. We, we're going to worship Jesus this morning. We've already started. It's beautiful. We are expecting, eagerly anticipating God to show us more of His glory this morning. And we get to respond with worshiping Him. And we get this together. Last week, I talked a little bit about spiritual formation in this season, something I hope that's really helpful. We are formed spiritually as God shows us more of who he is. We see more of his glory, and then we respond by by loving him more. It all starts with God showing us more of who he is. So through this Advent season, if you're doing a personal Advent thing at home, through everything we do on Sunday mornings, be thinking about this. How do I see more of God for who he actually is? This, This can be a really powerful season for that. You know, like we have certain, certain filters on this time of year, and we see aspects of God's character that seem to be heightened. So this morning, uh, Vince is out. He, he needs a break. In fact, actually, I want to pause here. Uh, Ezra is getting his last round of chemo. It's a really, really brutal one. It's starting five minutes ago. So let me pause. As uh, Vince, our normal teaching pastor, is down with his son in the hospital right now. Let's pause for that, and then we'll, we'll look at our text today. Let me pray for us. God, you know everything that is going through Ezra's head and his heart right now. You know all of the unknowns that he's juggling, that Vince is juggling, juggling and Kirsten, the family. And we pray that this chemo would do the work it needs to do. And we also pray that by your grace, it'd be gentle. God, I pray you'd be gentle. I pray you fortify Ezra and Vince these next, this next day. Strengthen their, their faith, I pray. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so Vince, he's our usual teaching pastor, and he is down with his son, Ezra. And so as you think about him, pray for them. At 10 o'clock this morning it started, and 10 o'clock at night as well. So, so please, please do pray for them. We're in Advent. A powerful season shows who God is. And as we heard earlier, our theme this week is love. As a church, we normally pick a book of the Bible and just work our way straight through it, but we're taking a break for this four-week Advent season to focus on the traditional themes of Advent. Last week was hope, this week is love, and we're going to look at peace and we're going to look at joy as well. And then culminating on Christmas Eve here, we get to light the Christ candle, that middle candle, that, that white candle. My hope for us this morning, what I'm going to intentionally do as we look at our passage showing us the love of God here at, at time of Advent is to also show us how do we see God's glory through that. So I talk about what I think it's important to do. I'm hopeful to actually walk us through some of that and point to some of those things. So here's the question that we're going to answer this morning through the sermon. It's this question right here. What does the incarnation of Jesus, this thing that we're celebrating in Advent, Jesus being born, actually putting on a body, the incarnation of Jesus, what does that have to do with love, our theme for this week? My friends, as we consider this from the Bible, we're going to get some big tastes of God's glory. 
It's a beautiful thing. I'm just going to point out a few, but we're going to get some big taste of it. This is the very thing that grows our love for God. I want us to see this, to appreciate, to, to behold God in his glory to a greater extent than what we do right now. I need that. I need help with that. That's why I want to have this happen this morning. So our love for him, our affections for him, our yearning for him respond and they grow. I've been through Advent many times before. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is you. I've heard the stories. I know the information. What I need, though, is to be in more awe of the depth of God's love here through this time of Advent. Can you relate to that? We've heard the stories, but we want our hearts now to respond and see more of the depth of God's glory. So let's ask our question, what does the incarnation of Jesus have to do with love and look for? Even expect to see more of God's glory as we look at his word for answers. If you've been with us recently, what we're going to look at this morning is going to be familiar. We're heading to 1 John. So grab your Bibles, head to 1 John chapter 4. We just finished a preaching sermon on this, on this book. If you don't have a Bible, there's a table in the back. There's Bibles on that table. If you don't own a Bible, take one of those. We'd be happy for you to have one of those Bibles. 1 John chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning, considering this theme of love here during Advent. First John is just a little book toward the back of the Bible. Hebrews, First, Second Peter, First John. If you remember some of the context of this book, John, the Apostle John, wrote it. And he was an eyewitness of Jesus. He, he lived with Jesus. He saw Jesus, could touch Jesus, heard from Jesus. So firsthand, John's with Jesus. He sees Jesus die. Sees Jesus is raised again and then ascended into heaven. After Jesus is gone, ascended into heaven, John becomes a pretty prominent figure in the early church. He becomes a pastor of a church, probably multiple churches he's the pastor of. And over time, there became some strange teaching. There was a group that started to teach some things very anti-gospel and actually caused a church split. So we don't know who this group is, but John here now writes this letter contained for us as the book of 1 John to the remaining genuine believers of this church or churches that he pastored. The particular context of, of this passage we're going to look at, John is showing us what is true versus what is false. Remember, his church has just been through a church split. They're asking questions. What's true? What's false? Now, John's going to say, this is true. He's going to lay out distinctly Christian truth by focusing upon the significance of the incarnation, we're in Advent, in our understanding of love, which is our theme this week. So let's read 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read two verses to start, verses 9 through 10. 1 John 4, verses 9 through 10. I want you to look for how John answers this question. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Friend, if we really want to understand the theme of love, particularly the love of God during Advent, we need to look at the incarnation. Just consider it. The love of God isn't simply an ethereal concept, is it? It's not, not just something we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better. It's not something we just have to muster up the will to believe absent of any evidence at all. Rather, the love of God was made manifest among us. It, be, it was made visible 
In fact, it was made physical. It could be touched. It could be seen. It could be heard. It could be interacted with. The ultimate proof of God's love literally walked among us in the person of Jesus. So what does that incarnation have to do with love? Well, John says it has everything to do with love. In fact, the incarnation of Jesus proves God's love. Right there. God came to be with us. God, Emmanuel. God sent his son to put on flesh, to be born a human baby, his specific parents, in a specific place, specific time in history. Are you beginning to already taste some of God's glory here? Let, let me see if I can pull this out. Our God is not a God who shies away from physical things, is he? As though the body, as though creation is somehow harmful for us and we need to avoid it. Rather, because God loves us, he took a body, a physical body. He embraced physicality. Our God's a God of the spiritual realm and the physical realm. There's no duality in God. No, our God's a big God, and he manifests his love for us through creation. This is part of God's glory. The love of God manifested itself in the incarnation of Jesus. I love how John just simply states the incarnation as fact. <laughs> Never before has this happened. He just states it as fact. He doesn't, he doesn't offer it as a wonderful idea <laughs> or as a suggestion of what maybe you could believe that it actually happened. He doesn't, he doesn't offer it as an allegory for a deeper spiritual truth regardless of historical fact. No, John just simply states it as fact. Jesus was incarnated. Can we trust John? Well, John's credentials are pretty good. He's a firsthand eyewitness of Jesus. But even outside of John, the historical evidence for the existence of a real Jesus is strong, if not stronger, than other historical figures that we just accept as fact, like Julius Caesar. See, John doesn't spend time trying to prove to us Jesus existed. Rather, he focuses on the significance of Jesus entering history, of taking on a body. The significance is this. Jesus' incarnation is the manifestation of the love of God. This is specific, tangible proof of God's love for us. The incarnation was conceived by, motivated by, and accomplished by the love of God. Friends, this has been another hard year, hasn't it? I, I know it has. I've heard from many of you it has. It, some of us are experiencing some excruciating suffering and loss. Think of all the losses from this past year. I've heard the stories. We have losses of relationship, lots of that. Losses of health, loss of stability. And I also realize in my life and in the stories that I hear that in the midst of suffering and loss, sometimes doubts can start to bubble up as to God's love for us, can it? Like, if God was really loving, why would he allow fill in the blank? If, is this really God? This is the really a loving God? The excruciating challenges that we face, the things we actually face firsthand, the things that we feel deeply can begin to erode our confidence in God's love for us. It's here we so desperately need to hear these words from John. John has already, John tells us that God has already proved his love for us. John has proved it. He proved it by sending Jesus to become one of us, to enter into the suffering, to enter into the loss. 
Jesus became one of us, but not just to become one of us just for the sake of becoming one of us, but rather he became one of us in order to give us life. You see, the incarnation wasn't just Jesus entering history, (laughs) but Jesus entering history with a mission, a mission that manifested God's love for us. In the words of John, in this is love. Not that we've loved God first, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Now consider the depth of God's love here, of God's love contained in just this one verse. This verse is pregnant with meaning, with gospel meaning. And for us to appreciate it, we have got to first consider our need for the love of God in the first place due to our sin. Friends, our sin runs deeper than you or I will ever realize. We're born this way. We're not born as innocent blank slates or as somehow having some innate goodness in of ourselves, but with a fundamental brokenness. This applies to everybody. We pursue our own desires rather than the desires of God. Our sin, by definition, separates us from God. It's all the ways that we live that flows out from our innate, born with brokenness. From birth, we're an enemy of God. The older I get, the, the more and more layers of my own depravity, my own sin do I see. I just keep pulling it back, pull it back. I haven't reached the bottom. There isn't a bottom. It just keeps going and going and going. My selfishness runs deep. My pride, my, my, my yearning for glory for myself. Right now, I want you all to think really highly of me. That's, that, a lot of that is sinful. Not all, I want to do a good job, but some of that is. Like, I want your glory, right? I want to be glorified. Because we're born in sin, we can't help this. We pursue these things. We pursue anything other than God. The Apostle Paul phrases it as being a slave to sin. And it's a slavery that only results in death and destruction. There's no life in it. There's no true freedom. There's no life either in this world or in eternity outside of God. And yet, think about this. And yet, what we're born with, our sin, chases everything except for God. And so we are trapped. We're unable to stop flinging ourselves at the very things that destroy us. And the very things that God hates. God hates sin. In all of his holiness. All of his justice, he only has wrath towards sin and will not allow it in relationship with himself, either now or for eternity. So friends, understand what this means for us. This means that if left to ourselves, we are identified with our sin because we're born as sinners. And therefore, we will face the wrath of a holy and just God upon sin, both now and for eternity. And we can do nothing about it on our own. Merry Christmas. And God didn't have to do anything about it either. Do you realize that? He would still be perfectly holy, perfectly loving, perfectly just. He didn't have to do anything about it. He could have left us to our sin entirely. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to choose to bring anybody in relationship with himself. But it's the big but. But praise God, he chose to act He gave us the incarnation of Jesus. He gave us Christmas. God gave us the incarnation of Jesus. The incarnation is the proof of God freely choosing to love us when we had nothing but hate for him. 
The incarnation is the proof of God freely moving toward us to make us friends when we were nothing but his enemies. Because we couldn't save ourselves, God manifested his love among us by taking action when we were completely helpless. We were literally dead in our sin, and God loved us first. Or in the words of Paul, I want to read this. This is from Ephesians 2. It's a letter he wrote to the church in Ephesus. That's way too small on that screen. Let me read over here. Ephesians 2. And you, he's talking about all of us in the state that we're born in. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's another huge but. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Think about this, my friends. Sit in this for a moment. Press this into your heart. God loved you not because of what you would one day accomplish. You were dead. God loved you first. God loved you not because he saw a disposition in you that made you more likely to love him back. You were dead. God loved you first. God loved you not because you are or would become a really good person. You're dead. You were dead. God loved you first. God didn't love you because he needed something from you. <laughs> you have nothing to gain. Now, you have all kinds of things to gain. That's heresy. You had nothing to add to God's goodness. <laughs> oh, I'm going to take that out later in the recording. <laughs> and you can do nothing to make God love you more or less. This is true because God's love is only and fully dependent upon himself. He's the only variable. <laughs> and he has freely chosen to fully love his children even before we could ever love him back. God's already proven his love for you. It's not contingent on what you're going to say, do, or think, or what you're not going to do, say, or think. God has already proven it. Motivated purely by love, the God of the universe, Jesus himself, through, think about this, through whom all of creation happened, who is currently sustaining all of creation, voluntarily, without coercion of any kind, willingly became one of us, giving up his place of glory. Now, why would God do that? He loves us. Listen to this. He came to live the perfect life we never could and to die the death that we deserved because of our sin that we were born into and that we freely choose. And then he broke the power of sin and death by rising again from the grave, all for our benefit, all because he loves us. Jesus, God's wrath upon himself, God, Jesus took God's wrath upon himself for our sin and gave us life instead. How's that for an exchange? He takes God's wrath upon himself and he gives us life instead. My friends, Jesus literally took our sin identity away. If you trust Jesus as a Savior, your identity has changed. He's taking your sin identity away, and now before God, your identity is that of saint. You have Jesus' righteousness instead of your sin. He propitiated our sin, taking God's wrath, giving us God's favor instead. If you trust Jesus to save you, all of this applies to you right now. 
This is how God demonstrated his love for you. Because of Jesus, you are no longer seen primarily as a sinner, but a saint. Christian, that sin that still indwells you, that sin that you're still battling, it's been paid for by the love of God through Jesus. That spirit that's working inside of you to transform you, to make you more like Jesus, to resist, to reject sin, and move more into life, become more holy, that was secured for you by the love of God through Jesus. You see more glimpses of God's glory here? Sure hope so. This is the gospel. (laughs) What grace has God poured out on us? We see God's grace all over this, don't we? He's freely given us what we can never earn. We have a God who, who doesn't expect us to first clean up before he'll love us. We don't have to keep a list of rules in order for God to continue to love us. Rather, God graciously and freely chooses to love us, himself making a way for us to again be in relationship with him. And even now, he graciously is changing our hearts to greater and greater degrees to reject sin and to actually desire to live in ways that please him by the gift of the Spirit. That's the gospel. That's good news. (laughs) This should kindle our affections for Jesus. If that does nothing for you, I'd love to talk. I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to hear what's going on in your head and your heart. This should kindle our love for our good God who did these things for us. This is Jesus who's coming that we celebrate at Christmas. The incarnation proves God's love. Christian, I want to challenge you to rest in this season. Would you, would you rest in God's love this season? That's a hard thing to do. It's a busy season, but rest. He's already proved his love for you. You didn't have to work for it. He knew nothing to keep it. You couldn't work for it. He freely loves you. He's proved it at great cost to himself. It's done. Rest. Think on the love of God for you. Meditate on it. Take these verses, just these few verses we're looking at, and just sit in them. Let the depth of the love of God wash over you as those doubts start to bubble up as to God's love. Let those doubts interact with this text. Let these words reveal to you in ever-deepening ways God's love for you, who God is. There is a second way here, though, that John answers our question for this morning. What does the incarnation of Jesus have to do with love? His first answer was that it proves God's love. His second answer is in our last two verses for this morning. Let's read on verses 11 through 12. 1 John 4, 11 and 12, starting in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, and he has, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So what's John's second answer to this question of how the incarnation of Jesus What it has to do with love? Now the incarnation of Jesus compels our love for others. The Christmas season, this is always characterized, or at least it's supposed to be characterized by kindness for each other, right? And and charity and, and love for fellow man. But for the Christian, our love for each other is not compelled by the commercials and the movies. It's not... It's not compelled by the Christmas songs. It's not compelled by this cultural expectation that we're supposed to be nice during this time of year. It's certainly not compelled by a big dose of religious guilt. Rather, as Christians, our love for others is compelled by the love of God evidenced in the coming of Jesus. With love of God, that's how we love, because God first and freely gave this to us. Catch us. Look again. Verse 12. 
God's love is perfected in us as we love others. The idea is that God's love reaches its intended goal if it does not just stop with us, but then actually flows around to those around us. In fact, it must necessarily extend to those around us. This is an astonishing thought. The unchanging, think about this, the unchanging love that motivated and accomplished the incarnation of Jesus is the same love that reaches its end in our loving of others. Did you catch that? The same love. Out of God's pure grace, he calls us, even imperfect us, to participate in that same love. This is significant. (laughs) In a sense, our loving of God is incarnating God's love for others. Now, not that we somehow become God by loving others, or that love itself is God, but rather loving others as a way to tangibly, tangibly display the presence of an invisible God. It puts, it puts flesh and form to an invisible reality. It encapsulates, what's the word? Encapsulates? How many words have I said wrong this morning? There's a lot. I just, and I usually just keep moving if I stop that one. It encapsulates the power and reality of God's love within concrete, real words, thoughts, and actions. Listen. God gives to us and then uses us to share with others something so very fundamental to his very nature. Did that just blow your mind? It should. It doesn't mind. This is the sort of God we worship. Think about God's glory here. For reasons that I do not completely understand, God chooses to use you and me to accomplish his purposes. An essential part of that is sharing his love with others. God's chosen to use us with his, for his eternal plans. I don't understand why. Our glorious God isn't detached. He's not aloof. But rather, he chose not only to share his love with us, but to share elements of his mission with us. These things that we do to love others. We make Christmas dinners. We give gifts. Maybe you grab something from the giving tree back there. We listen to people's stories. We, we encourage each other. Whatever it is, whatever expression of loving each other that we do, the Christian does these things as an outworking of God's saving love that's being perfected in us. That's what John says. We need to be praying to be marked more by this love, don't we? For me, when I love others, it's a mixed motive. Often it can be mixed with the things I think I'm going to gain from that person, the things I think I'm going to gain from God himself. It's only by God's grace that we get to participate in the love of God. Friends, has John enlarged your view of God's love through this text? Please nod yes, at least some people. Otherwise, I just wasted my time. Okay, good, good. Not, not a waste of time, but the, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks for the grace. You're doing already. You're loving me by laughing. That's good. Our God loves us so much as to come near and become one of us when we were his enemies. Have your view of God enlarged. Our God loves us so much as to suffer for us and satisfy his own just wrath upon our sin. Our God loves us so much as to bring us into relationship with himself And then call us to not only receive his love, but to be used by him and given it to others. Jesus coming to us, his incarnation that we celebrate at Christmas, is a profound display of love, both by proving God's love and compelling our love for others. 
This is the love that we celebrate at Advent. So friends, if you trust Jesus and Jesus alone to save you, the love of God evidenced in sending him and accomplished salvation through him is yours. Relationship with God is forever yours. If you've been listening to the words this morning and maybe you've got questions, maybe you're not sure if you ever trusted Jesus, maybe you don't know what we're talking about this morning, but you'd like to share, I'd love to listen. I'd love to listen to your story and interact with whatever's going on inside your head and your heart. If you don't trust Jesus yet to save you, know this, we are praying for you. We are praying that God would draw you to himself and save you and give you true life. God, I I thank you uh, that you're not only loving, but that you chose to share that love with us. You, You made a way for us to be in relationship with you. We didn't have to, yet you still chose to do that. You proved your love for us. You still today sustain us and and have us in relationship with yourself, through your spirit, you're changing us. I thank you for that. I, and I pray that when I take that for granted, when we take that for granted, when I think these are stories I've already heard, and yep, I know the answers, would you stop me, and would you show me more and more depth of your love for me? Would you show us more of your character? Would you show us more of your glory, spirit? I pray you'd be at work doing that, even now. Even now, as, as we'll be reflecting here with some music in the background, spirit, would you be at work in our hearts? Showing us more of your glory. We need that. We can't just mush that up on our own. And God, I pray if there's people here who do not yet trust you, that these concepts might, might seem foreign. I pray you continue to draw them to yourself. I pray you'd save them. Yes, God, I pray you do that. Thank you for what you've poured out so richly upon us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.